I wish I could record yourself talking to yourself about yourself because I'll bet I could lock you up for abuse. I'll bet money on the table, right? You would never say to a friend what you say to yourself for your mistakes. You would never do that. And we spend so much time talking to people about, look, how you treat yourself, talk to yourself. That helps you appreciate and understand accountability. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall and kind of a fun journey as we make our way into this one. A couple of weeks ago, I hopped on to LinkedIn and I said, hey, uh, if you think that you might be a great guest for The Cultural Hall, you can drop a note to me uh, in a private message or you can leave a comment. Had a couple of people that came to me because of that. And one of those people is my guest today. Don Marklin, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, now, I uh, I don't know. Admittedly, we know very little, or I should say I know very little about you except for what I found in stalking you online. So I'm excited to see where this conversation takes us. Today. Yeah, very good. So am I. I, I you know, we spend a lot of money and I have a big team to try to make us look good online. Yeah. Make you look good. So hopefully yeah. you found good things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely uh, one of the things that that strikes me is that you are associated quite a bit with uh, uh, either a company or a mentality or perhaps both of accountability and accountability now. I yep. would love to know, first of all, what that is. And then second of all, a little bit about your feelings with accountability in general. Absolutely. So let's talk through both of those. So um, accountability now is my business, right? So it's my own management consultant firm. Um, a little shameless plug. We were just named Inc.com's best five in business, uh, top five management consulting firms in the country in 2022. Um, and uh, and we specialize in working with businesses under five million that need sales, marketing, and kind of operations support. And we base that all on this idea of accountability and what accountability is and how it works and how to instill it in your sales programs, marketing programs, plus some strategy and your leadership team. So uh, before we go into how uh, that might apply, both certainly in just our lives in general, right? This idea yeah. of accountability, but hopefully being able to transcend it into a gospel-ish discussion. Absolutely. Uh, uh, the curiosity that I would have is if people don't have any idea how big a deal that Inc. Uh, uh, award is, I mean, put it in yeah. context, because if you're in the realm, you recognize, oh, geez, that's a big deal. Otherwise, you just kind of go, yeah, all right, great. He's on a thing. Got a thing. Yeah. Good so Inc, you know, Inc.com is the second largest uh, publication, business publication in the United States. And um, I don't even know how many, you know, groups that they uh, do. But when we applied for it, you know, they had, from what I understand, over 10,000 different consulting groups try mm -hmm. to get this. And we got named top five in the United States. And it's great. And it was a great honor for us for just a small little million dollar practice, right? You know, and uh, for us to get that, it was great. And to put into context, when you said up to 5 million, uh, what I'm presuming is you work with companies that make up to 5 million top line. Yeah, we tried. Yep. We try to start, we, we try to work with small companies and get them to 20 million and so that they can sell or that they can do something else. And uh, then you kick, the, you kick them out of the nest. You say, it's been great working with you. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not fun for us anymore. That's not our specialty, right? Okay. That's not what we okay. do. We focus on that that group to get them to 20 and then say, go, go and go and do, go and do those things that you want to do. So right. uh, on a bigger picture, when we talk about accountability, something that I think in a day and age when uh, there's a <laughs> you, the triggering word of, not triggering, that's not the right way I want to say, but accountability is something that many would argue is sort of a lost art. Um, that there is a certain um, contingent of, of of a generation or multiple generations that just don't take accountability or don't know how to take accountability or yeah. really just have never had accountability patterned after them. So let's get into it a little bit. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's. I'll tell you about first how we came up with the model, mm -hmm. uh, how I came up with my model of accountability, and then we will. Um, then we'll talk about how it applies to kind of lives and everybody's life. So when I started, when I was in my career, I was living in Northern Utah mm -hmm. and I was a super ambitious guy, right? I was like, I'm going to run the world. And I was working <laughs> for a call center company at the time. And I found myself in my mid twenties. I was vice president of sales and operations 
and I had close to 1500 employees. And I mean, here I was 26 and I'm like thinking I'm killing it, right? I had a good six figure salary, beautiful wife, three kids, but I was 70 pounds heavier than I am now. I was overworked. I was working 60 hours a week. I was on a plane 25 times a year. As I say it, I was overworked, overwhelmed, overstressed. And one day I was sitting in a training room in Rock Falls, Illinois. I just trained these 500 agents on some different sales things. And I was sitting there and I was, I'm sure you're familiar with the beautiful restaurant Taco Bell. Okay, I'm sure you're familiar <laughs> with that. And I was sitting in the break room, polishing off a chalupa. And I, I don't eat those anymore, but they are just about as good. They are manna from heaven. Mm-hmm. And that's actually uh, the was, translation. Man, that I do. It, it is. It, in, it is. That's, I believe that. Right. So, and so as I sat there in that training room, I started thinking this can't be my life. Uh, and I, you know, in the gospel perspective that you would call this a stupor of thought, that's what from a Latter-day Saint perspective, we would say. Mm-hmm. And as I was sitting there at the time, I used to carry around this little quote book with me. Now I don't, my quote books, this, it's this, you know, every quote in the world I want is on my cell phone. Okay. But back then, right. I had to carry around analog. I had to write them down. And I opened up the little quote book and I read this quote by a guy named Bob Proctor, who said, accountability is the glue that ties commitment to results. Hmm. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And so then as I sat there, I said, I want to understand accountability, what it is. And I wrote down my personal mantra and philosophy around accountability. I called it the four C's of accountability. And I wrote it down and it wasn't for anybody else. It was just for Don to live a better life. And as I started to live my four C's, some crazy things happened. I lost weight. I spent more time at home. Um, My wife liked the thinner me, by the way, that was a win. I (laughs) wasn't ready. Um, And my life started to get better. I started to enjoy church more. I started to enjoy everything better. And then my business I was with grew as I started to teach it to people, it started to grow and grow. And our little business grew all the way up to 45 million. Wow. And then from there, I left and joined a startup company, full entrepreneur. And as I was in this role, I applied it again. And we grew to 2 million before we eventually sold it. And then we moved to Florida. My wife, she's a cancer survivor. And so as we went through that, uh, accountability got us through that. And as we moved to Florida to be warmer, I don't know if you've ever been to Utah winters, but it's not, it's not warm. It's not good I'm for people. It. I'm living yeah. it right now. You know this, yeah. right? So if you've had cancer, you'll know cold makes it worse. And so we were like, we don't want to do that. So we moved to Florida and um, I worked with companies like State Farm, Allstate, Amazon. And um, then eventually I joined a financial services firm where we grew them from 35 million to 89 million. And how did we do that? Well, day one, I took the four C's and I tattooed it on the wall. Everybody's going to live this. Everybody's going to understand it. And as we did that, it grew. And from there, I started writing for Forbes. They were nice enough to publish the four C's, put it on their podcast. And that's when people started reaching out and saying, Don, how do I get more accountability in my business? How do I get in my life? How do we do this? And so we built the business four years ago. And, um, And it's all based on that original idea, sitting in that break room, looking at Chalupa, and I wrote down the four C's of accountability and what it means and how it works. You're begging for me to ask what the four C's are. So I'm going to do it, but we're going to take a break <laughs> real quick. We'll come back. I want to dive full on into what those four C's are and how they can apply to, uh, you know, our life. And and I would hope that we can, because I feel like uh, there is not enough conversation around this, how this can be applied uh also to our gospel living, to maybe uh, the curating of our own testimony, certainly kind of gear it in that direction as we come back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Bookofmormonsecrets.com, or you can find them on Instagram at Book of Mormon Secrets. This is the opportunity for you to not only be able to see uh, Russ Brunson be able to go through like all the cool things with the first edition hymnal of the church or uh, the first edition Book of Commandments. This is also an opportunity for you to be able to go and see these books in Idaho or be able to win a replica. You need to go right now to bookofmormonsecrets.com 
or you can follow them at Book of Mormon Secrets on Instagram. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. That is the email address. Whether you've got some feedback on this episode or any of the other episodes you'd like to recommend a guest or you might be a great guest, make sure you send that contact at theculturalhall.com. Dot com. You're getting me to beg. I love this, Don. You are doing the thing where you're like, it's the four C's that changed my life, but you haven't gone into it yet. So I want you to know, as far as that goes, you've got me hooked. You gave you Dang. gave me the life change, and now I want to know four C's. What are they? Boom. Let's do it. Beautiful. Great. I, then I did my job correctly. I was just trying to just <laughs> pull you in. Right. Okay. And, you know, shameless plug, if anybody wants to buy the book, Four Seas of Accountability, it's on Amazon, right? So, And um, we're going to leave a link for it in the show notes, so it'll make it that much easier for people to be able to purchase it. Awesome. Thank you so much. So the Four Seas, it's the first thing is you have to start with the philosophy that accountability, you asked us at the beginning, it was brilliant. You were like, we need to understand more accountability. We need to understand this better. So too many times people think accountability is only applied on the mistake. I'll give you an example. You see this in the church all the time. Well, well, we need to hold people accountable. Yeah, they we need to do hold their people visiting, more. teaching, their home teaching. We, they yeah. Do. Yep. And everything is always consequential to, they always apply accountability as a consequence to mistakes or misses. And that is the by far biggest misunderstanding. Businesses hire me from all over the world to fix this issue because accountability is not about wrong choices. It's about all choices. Hmm. And I wish all of us would hold ourselves as much, if not more accountable for the wins, the things we did right, as opposed to just the mistakes, right? Accountability is I am, I am owning all of my decisions, all of them. And when I do something well, yeah, gummit, I'm going to love that. Mm. I'm going to love it. Right. And when I do something bad, I'm going to fix it. And this is the model of how to do that. Accountability starts with two rules. And then the four C's, the first rule is accountability always starts with me. I don't get to walk into a room and say, well, you did this, you did this. I have to stop and say, how did I cause this scenario? If, if If somebody does something in your life that impacts you, before you go start talking to them, first start, wait a minute. What did I do to contribute to this? If you have a bad relationship with a spouse or an ex spouse or a family member, before you start saying, well, they don't get, they're not going to learn, right? <laughs> First start, how am I contributing to this? If you start with yourself, it's amazing what will happen. And the story I share is actually a story from Steve Young. He put it in his book, The Behind the Spiral, his quarterback book, where he said he used to, at the early part of his career, when he'd throw a pass and a receiver dropped it or caused an interception, he would go and ball out that receiver, right? Like, how could you do this? This yep. You're ruining my stats. You're ruining everything. And then he learned it's wrong. And in the later part of his career, when he actually found his Hall of Fame success, if he threw it and the receiver dropped it or the receiver fumbled it and it led to an interception, he would come up and say, first thing, hey, I think I threw that too hard. Hey, I think I, I led you farther than you realized. I'm sorry. And he goes, it wasn't disingenuous. It wasn't manipulative. He believed it. I'm holding myself accountable first. And he goes, and all of a sudden, my receiver stopped being defensive and fighting with me. They'd say, no, 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 Steve. That was, that was on me. You, you threw a perfect pass. And he goes, we built better relationships. And they held themselves more accountable. And so did I. Hmm. So first rule, always start with yourself. Always. So question second, around, second, go ahead. Or a question around that. So if that's not your nature, because I'm sure that there are some people that are listening. Absolutely. That, like, how, how do you take those first steps towards that? Because how many times have we been like, I can't think of a possible way that this could be anything but the fact that you, this, them, this. they, That's right. all of that, you know, how, how, for people so, to tap into that, what is that kind yeah, of first okay. way to look at so, it? So 
that the and the way we teach this, and I love that you're asking that, is that it we have to get a better relationship with accountability. All of us do. And that starts with the first philosophy I was telling you about mm-hmm. was I have to get used to holding myself just as accountable for my wins. Because we have a tendency to always associate accountability with negative, always. Mm-hmm. And when I have somebody, if I contribute to a problem, I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm just going to hold myself accountable, right? I'm just going to be like, hey, I made that decision. And some of the other C's teach you how to make those decisions and think about them mm-hmm. so that you learn to love and appreciate accountability. Now, there's a really important thing. Everybody loves to say this. They do. They say, no, I, I want more accountability. I love it. But at the end of the day, nobody loves it. Right? <laughs> nobody loves somebody reminding them of their mistakes or doing that. Nobody does. And that's why we have to get used to the idea. I'm going to hold myself just as accountable for my wins. I wish if I could take all any of your listeners and say to them, I wish I could record yourself talking to yourself about yourself because I'll bet I could lock you up for abuse. Mm -hmm. I'll bet money on the table, right? You would never say to a friend what you say to yourself for your mistakes. You would never do that. Sure. And we spend so much time talking to people about, look, how you treat yourself, talk to yourself, that helps you appreciate and understand accountability. To even go a step further, to talk about from a gospel perspective, if I go into uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 13, where he's talking about the parable of the sower. We all know this, right? He threw seeds on the rocky ground, on the stone ground, and uh, you know, then it was finally on the good soil, right? We all know the parable. Mm-hmm. But the one that fell on stony ground in Matthew, it says, the re- when they ask the Savior, what does this mean? We're confused. The Savior says, for the ones that fell on the stony ground, they took root, not in themselves. And when you translate that, it means they didn't believe in themselves. They didn't love themselves. And so when the pressures of the world came, they cowered, they ran, they were, or they fell apart. And even though we always say, look up to Christ, he's right there in that little thing. Mm-hmm. 2,000 years ahead of human psychology studies saying, you got to love yourself. You have to love and know and believe who you are first. Because if you don't, I can't get in. I can't teach you. I can't do anything. And that's all how we teach that. I go, I will give you a long answer. Sure, sure. No, I love it. Because the other part of that, though, is I think within certainly around like gospel things or church things or 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 this kind of uh, part of this conversation, the the idea of being um, self congratulatory or prideful, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that I think oh. is where we go. Oh, hold on, yeah, be, because be proud of my yeah. great things. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that, that everybody loves to go, and I, this is not to speak ill of anyone, but there's a very famous Ezra Tapp Benson talk on uh-huh. the dangers of pride that sure. you know that ran through the church, and it continues to pop up here and there, and it gives this philosophy of, geez, you know, you don't want to be proud. You don't want to boast. Well, first of all, before, and I'm not criticizing that, but go read Joseph Smith. You think he didn't talk about himself and his compliments? Of course he did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. He had, he had to, he's building a church. Right. Okay. Right. And there's a, di- it all comes around the word of intent. Okay. If I am boasting or praising myself with the intent to to draw praise, to get to get flattery back, to do those things, then everything Ezra Tapp Benson quotes is right on. But if I'm speaking about myself because I need to remind myself how good I am because I suffer from imposter syndrome or I'm insecure, or if I'm doing these things because I need to grow my business or build my family or I need to build up my son and let my son see his dad's proud of himself, right? That is every bit of humility. Humility doesn't mean I'm not proud of who I am. Mm-hmm. Humility means I'm willing to be corrected and coached. That's what mm-hmm. it means, right? People think this phrase from the Savior, the meek shall inherit the earth. The earth That means, does that mean you're walking around just like super quiet? No, go translate what meek means. The Savior was out there shaking things up. But the Savior was out there changing the world, not sitting super quietly, walking behind everybody. And no, he... Meek just means I'm willing to be corrected. I'm willing to be coached. I'm willing to be improved by anybody from the smallest impoverished person to the highest church leader. Anybody can say, hey, I I think you might have handled that wrong. Hey, you know what? Maybe I did. It's good. Thank you for telling me. It's awesome. That's the meek shall inherit the earth. When you talk about the uh, being able to... No, uh, not necessarily be proud, but like, yeah, I'm proud of, of, of what I did. That was an amazing accomplishment. Are are those things walked out for you in things like mantras? Like, way to go, Don Markland. 
you did a great job in that meeting or or is it some other way? So, well, I'll bring this back to the four C's because how we teach it. Okay, if that's all right, I'll go to yeah, the four because you're asking it right onto it. And before I get into the exact four C's, the second rule that's super important is there are no egos with accountability. Okay, so the metaphor in the United States, uh, we have the sport of baseball. And if somebody throws a ball and you swing and you miss, that's a strike. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if the umpire called it a strike or the opposing player called it a strike or a fan in the sands, stands called it a strike. It's always going to still be a strike. Mm-hmm. And that's what accountability is. So many times when somebody reminds us of a miss that we had or points it out or a spouse does, our first response is, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> you did it too, right? Well, who freaking cares if they did it? That's not the conversation. You still swung and you missed. Yeah. And have the confidence in yourself to say, man, that's awesome that you told me that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I need to look at that. Right. That's so proud or to be prideful would mean I'm not coachable at that moment. Yeah. That's what proud is. Right. Now, the C's where you're talking about, like, how do I teach this? How do you say it? What do you say to yourself? The four C's are really easy. The first C is you critique success. Okay. Right? What is that? So, mean? When you do something better, right before you're about to pat yourself on the back and say, man, I'm so good, stop and say, how could I have been better? That's your first instinct, right? So if you, in another silly sports metaphor, if I hit a 465-foot home run, could I have hit 456, right? If I, Whenever you do something really well, the first thing you say to yourself is, all right, could I do that better? Or surround yourself with people you trust. I'll tell you something. Say, no, I think you could have done this better. I think you could have done this better. All right. I still nailed it. And I love that. Now I got a pathway forward because the minute we get to the top of the mountain, where do we go? Only one place to go. It's right back down. Yeah. Right. So that's why we critique success. We always raise the bar. We always put more weight on the bench press. Always add more, always add more. The second C is we correct failure. This one's, this one's the hardest for everybody because they want to punish (laughs) failure. They want to they want to hold accountable. I want to, you know, rub your nose in it. This is failure. We don't punish, we don't punish failure. We correct it. All failures were based on a decision. And that decision is oftentimes based on information or data or faulty assumptions. Hmm. All of them. So if I just find the decision point or the data input or the assumptions that were wrong, oh, you know what? I did that because I thought this was going to happen. And what I realized is I didn't get enough information before I thought that. There's the problem. Now let's correct that failure, not punish it. Right? What did I do wrong? I followed the information that I had. I didn't trust my instincts. I went off of this. But now I've corrected where the problem is. So mm-hmm. I won't make it again. I fixed it. We spend so much time just pounding ourselves into the ground because I keep making mistakes. I keep doing this. Well, wait a minute. Go back to where you're making the decision or go back to the inputs or what you're feeding. And let's correct that not punish you for the decision. You're just good. You're like anybody. You're going to make the same decisions over and over and over until you change the entry point. And that's what correct failure is. Stop beating yourself up and just change. Just find it. And I believe that's part of repentance, right? Sure. The repentance process isn't, well, just beat yourself up until, until submission. It's, right? it's not WWE. Ashes, yeah, <laughs> I know it is. There's this yeah. belief it's WWE. It's just, just so much drama. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's just correction. That's all it is. Right. People confuse sometimes, and I did for years, the Old Testament and Doctrine and Covenants language, which is very violent at times. Right. But that was the rhetoric in which they spoke. I actually don't believe that they did some of the things that it says as we've translated it through the years. I believe what it really is saying is approach your correction with that same fierceness. The approach trying to improve with that same, I have to do this. And then just correct it. Don't beat yourself up. That's the second C. I love it. Third C. The, the third C is celebrate growth. Is the hardest thing we will do in this life is grow and change. Right? That is, I mean, to quote the Book of Mormon, right? We're sent here is a preparatory test in order to meet God. Right? Mm-hmm. That is our whole time here. And that's going to take a lot of growth. And when we grow, we should celebrate the snot out of it. I mean, make it as fun and exciting because that's what I want you to just, I did something hard that I never thought I would. And you celebrate it. And people have said to me, like for successes, why don't you go over the top with when you celebrate successes and when you do that? 
that's where entitlement comes. That's when that's where pride overtakes you. But if you're always celebrating your growth, it's different. And and to sum it up even simpler, I believe God sent every human being on this earth here to be successful. I don't I'm not saying they're saying to be rich and billionaires, but to be successful in their sphere of influence. That's what I believe. And so I wouldn't celebrate meeting expectations, right? Okay. Sure. We're supposed to be successful, right? I want to celebrate the growth that we take on that path. And when, you know, when somebody, when my, one of my children do something that was hard for them, we will celebrate much more than a test score, right? We will celebrate much more than a, a milestone. It's the growth that we will celebrate. Like, let's go to dinner. Let's celebrate. Let's have a great time because you grew. And that's what you want to get addicted to is the growth, not just the medals on the wall. How do you uh, how do you see the growth? Is it things like, you know, church leaders have encouraged like journaling, and that's a very tangible way where you can be like, I struggled with this, this was a thing, and now I've overcome it. How how do how or like uh, meditation? I know for another for another group of folks is the way yeah. that they can go. Oh, where am I? Where am I at today? What what do you personally do to go? Man, I'm here. I used yeah. to be there. Now I'm here. Okay, so that so that is such a great discussion to kind of sit on for a second because we we live in a society social media has made it even harder but we live in a society where we're always trying to live somebody else's ideal life sure and you you just hit two great points of it where the apostles say you should journal you should meditate or we have other groups saying do this or do these oils or do this or do this and we spend all this time trying to apply other people's life solutions to our own and we're super frustrated when we feel like we're not living up Mm-hmm. Well, it's not working for me. Well, of course it isn't. It's not your life. Okay. <laughs> right. Of course it isn't. Right. People, one of the most, one of my most popular Forbes articles, I wrote an article on morning routines because morning routines, super trendy people, 5am, 4am club morning routine. What does Jeff Bezos eat? I want to know what, what toothpaste does Elon Musk use? All this kind of stuff. They do all this stuff. Right? It's the cold bath, by the way, is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. Ice, yeah. bath ice cold bath, <laughs> ice bath. That's the new thing. Right. Okay. Yep. And the point is, is all of those are somebody else's life. Right. The only real person that will know your growth is you and your relationship with God. The new youth program is brilliant at this. The new youth program that really centers on personal development through the four aspects of your life and that you don't have to report these and get measured and put a smart goal and all this kind of stuff. It doesn't do that at all. It says, hey, you have the relationship with God, set your goals and grow. And if that might mean, hey, I want to learn to meditate, that's what it means to you. Great. That Mm -hmm. might just mean, I don't yell at my family in my head, <laughs> right? Because sometimes, just so much, sometimes I just yell. It might just mean, hey, I'm going to, when I read the scriptures, have a spirit of gratitude as I do that. Doesn't matter. It's your growth, hmm. right? And that's, that's a, if God, if I could scream any message to people is stop trying to live somebody else's life and live your ideal life. And that takes you with reflection time and testing. Okay. I tried this. I tried the cold bath. Didn't <laughs> work for it. me. Yeah. Right. Hey, cold bath didn't work. Great. No problem. I get up at four in the morning. That's me. I'm, I'm a weirdo like that. Okay. And I get up every morning at four in the morning and other people say, Oh, I wish I did that. I say, why? Right. Get up when you want, get up when it's good. My bio, my chemistry works. Unbelievable. I wake up at four in the morning, no joke. And I throw my arms up like this. Like, yes. And my wife's like, get out of here. You, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and shut and the door behind you. Yes, quietly. Tired. Yeah, yes. she doesn't understand it. And I wake up with a firebolt. Well, because I'm a morning person. My chemistry is, I was designed through God to say, hey, you should probably get up more. This is kind of your jam. Mm-hmm. You call me at 8.30 at night. I'm not good, right? I'm a wreck, <laughs> right? The minute we turn on Netflix at 9.30 at night when my wife and I are trying to go to sleep, she laughs. I'm two minutes in. I'm like, I'm out. I can't do it. Right. Okay. So that don't live somebody else's life. That's that's one of the big messages of it. Trying to be able to find out that individual thing. I love that. And and yeah. spot on as far as social media goes. How many times do we get caught up and then miss it? Then we don't even have any reflection on growth. Yeah. Because it's just the comparison of I'm not that. I'm not that's those right. things. I yeah. didn't get or I that. don't have those followers, you know, to, to dwell on that before we hit the final C. My wife and I. Uh, four years ago, we were in Italy and we got to go to Pompeii. And Pompeii is the oldest civilization record on record, right? They have a kind of frozen time. And for people that don't know, 
But here's the city of Pompeii. A volcano came and erupted all over all of it. And then many, many years later, uh, archaeologists discovered this city. And they discovered like a, a place frozen in time that wasn't corrected by, you know, the Catholic Church or other predominant places. And that's not to speak ill of them. They just there were many organizations that were erasing and rewriting history over in Europe. But Pompeii wasn't. It was frozen. And a cool aspect of this is outside of these homes, especially the rich homes, they would always have these stone benches. And hmm. I remember sitting with our guide and I said, what are those stone benches for? And she goes, you'll love this. The stone benches were for the person in their home. It was for their followers. They would have followers that would sit outside their home. And then when the person would get up and walk through the streets, this group would stand up and walk with them. And it was widely known if you had more followers than somebody else. You're a person of prominence. You're a person of influence. Hmm. But they're, at the same time, there were people that couldn't generate followers. So they had to buy fake followers. They'd buy them to personify that I'm a person of influence. And I said to her, I go, how many years ago was this? How long ago was Pompeii? And she's like, you know, whatever, 2,000 years. And I said, we've learned nothing. Yeah. We follow the same model now. I, I have people tell me all the time because we have, you know, 180 something thousand followers on Instagram. They're like, geez, that, that's incredible. And I'm like, I don't know those people, right? Like it, I have no influence, right? That's not real. But P, it, we get this perception that your online presence is real. It's not, it's, it's, it's completely, we're the exact same as we've been for 2000 years. Yes. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah. It, yeah. You could, you could sit there and think about that for years. Like, oh my gosh. We're no it, different. It's fascinating and a little sad. <laughs> well, um, I where, where I don't take it as sadness, I know that the joke was well-placed, but um, in the scriptures, it says, I'm the same today, yesterday, forever, right? Yeah. Like he, that scripture is not directed at God, that's directed at man, right? We are always going to have the same, the natural man is going to be the same as it always was. We're going to have the same ambitions, same desires as we did in the early civilization to now. That isn't going to change. It's innate in us because that's what tests us to find God. And so in a thousand years from now, there will be people looking for followers of a new kind because it is our desire to feel popular and liked and influential. That's part of the natural man. And so we will always have those same things. And that's the point. That's the point. What's the fourth C, my friend? Fourth C is crush mediocrity. In Florida, we learned this when we first moved here that we have bugs here in Florida, real yeah, bugs, yeah, really, really bugs. And I don't care how clean your house is, you will have bugs and you will have cockroaches that are the size of you know, a computer mouse. I mean, they're just enormous. And when you see a bug, we have in our home what we call the lonely flip-flop because some kid lost the other one a long time ago. And this flip-flop is used for bug extraction, right? That's what we do. And when I see a cockroach, I take that flip-flop and I crush it. With everything that I've got, because I've learned if you just lightly tap it or you just kind of halfway hit it, that thing's going to survive. It's going to go tell all of his friends, Marklin's home is open season. They don't know how to kill bugs. And that's the mentality you have about your mediocrity in your life. I want an urgency and a passion. I've got to cross this with everything that I've got. And it's, it's the philosophy of it's not that I want to change. It's I must change. I will change right now. And that passion around it kind of fuels the growth in all the other areas. Hmm. It seems uh, simple. And I don't mean, I, I don't mean uh, it, it's no sort of downplay or like speaking down about it. Yeah, no, no, no. There's not it's anything in what you said that I'm like, well, hold on. The equation of, you know, yeah, what yeah. we're talking it's about. It's supposed to be simple because look, I, 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 re I read the four C's every day. It was part of my morning routine. And I'm not, I mean, I authored the dadgum thing and I'm not perfect at them. Mm -hmm. It's the constant journey, you know, as um, I, I think it was Ezra Taft Benson that said, uh, life's goal is perfection. It's just a lifelong journey, right? It just takes, takes you forever to get there. Mm -hmm. Also what the four C's is, it's just a vehicle for you to use to remind yourself, hey, I'm getting better. I'm going to correct these failures. I'm going to always raise the bar when I do hard things that I've always never been able to accomplish. I'm going to celebrate it. And if I've got things holding me back, I will crush it with the ferocity of a nasty bug in my home. Hmm. And, and if I have that constant reminder, I'm going to do okay. I'm going to do, I'm going to do okay in my life. 
I want to take a break. When we come back, I want to I want to go right on the nose as far as church application with the four C's and maybe some of the experiences that you've had within the church. I'll explain a little more. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural hall. Best DJ in Utah.com. It's been a while since we've had a new one of these, and I apologize for that. It's because I've been so busy DJing events all over the country. Uh, but especially here in Utah, been able to do some great, uh, you know, weddings. I've done a, a prom or two for different listeners of the Cultural Hall. I love it when you uh, reach out to me at bestdjinutah.com, or uh, you can find the phone number online as well. I would love it if you say, hey, I heard about you on the Cultural Hall, because maybe, just maybe, I give a Cultural Hall discount. Uh, all sorts of events. It doesn't have to be a, a wedding. It could be a community event. Maybe it's a ward or youth activity. I'm doing one of those this summer. In fact, just lock the deal down on that. Uh, whatever it may be, if you need music to accompany your event or you just need a great MC, I would love to be able to help you out. You're simply going to need to go to bestdjinutah.com. Hi, friends. Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop, and they start at only $29 a month. And it comes with a lifetime warranty. Just check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember, you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. You just go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. We call it putting your money where your ears are uh, for just as little as $5 a month. It gets you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group where all the Patreon saints are hanging out. And you also get to be able to see the great videos uh, that we uh, that we do for the Cultural Hall. So check it out, patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It's funny, uh, Don and I, in the little break that we took that you didn't hear, we were sort of talking about, uh, you know, s- some of these four C's things. And he complimented me, said, hey, you know what? You you do a great job. And I said, nah, thanks. I sort of dismissed it. And then I was like, you know what? No, we're talking about this. He gave me a compliment. I'm going to accept it. And I'm going to say, you know what? I, I take a lot of great pride in this thing that I do. And and not boastful, but you know, thank you. I appreciate that. And it was the it was the most uncomfortable thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should be. Okay, it should be because you've got this narrative in your brain. To quote Doctor Phil, Doctor Phil calls it your tapes. Now, some of your listeners are not going to know what that means. Okay? Mm-hmm. Some people don't know what a tape is, but it's just those recordings in your brain that you've associated with. If I accept a compliment, that's that's blasphemy, right? That's boastful. Right? That's no, it's not at all. Saying, you know what? I work really hard at this. Thank you. Right? I mean, your listeners had didn't see you for the first 15 minutes when we were meeting each other, you fixing your lights and getting everything ready. I mean, you know how much work and time and money and investment you put into this? Daggum right, I do a good job. Thank you. Yeah. Man, I'm glad you noticed it. Right? And that's that's right down the line. You know how many marriages fall apart because the wife says, you know, you never appreciate what I do. Well, you should just know I appreciate it. You should just know. No, tell them. Mm-hmm. And then wives or husbands, whoever it is, say, thank you. I'm glad you noticed. I work really hard, <laughs> really, really hard. Yeah. I'm glad you noticed, right? That's accountability. Hold somebody accountable for crushing it every once in a while. Hold them accountable for being awesome. So as I was thinking about the four C's, talking about accountability and how this kind of interplays with the church, I I thought through of a, a, a couple of different scenarios, um, and I'm not sure maybe where to go first. But when when we have um, the idea of like a bishop's interview, where you know something's going on, I go in and visit with the bishop. You know, maybe it's an addiction, and maybe that's a different uh, a, a conversation, or maybe it's not. But there's there's this idea of I go in when everything something is bad, unless it's the yearly you know tithing thing, and even that is some element of accountability. And then it's, did you do the thing? Here are the things that you have to do, you know. And and it almost is is counter to what you're talking about as far as accountability, though we think it is this time of yeah. accountability. Yep. So okay. So, so, so what? So what do we do? <laughs> yeah. So let's break that down. Okay. That is such a great place to go. And I love that you went there. So first thing is your understanding about accountability. And then we'll talk about repentance. And we'll talk about chief judge in Israel. Okay. We'll talk about those three things separately. And I don't usually get to talk about this in my business world. Okay. I would so, think not. <laughs> right. This is great. So first of all, accountability 
has nothing to do with a bishop, has nothing to do with priesthood leader, has nothing to do with really any function of the church, has to do with your relationship with God. And oftentimes we associate, well, I have to go meet with the bishop in order to be held accountable. You've already, now you've already misplaced it. Yeah. Right? First rule, accountability always starts with me. So if I was going to talk to anybody, I'm a state young man's president. I deal with a lot with youth and we run into this. We tell them, you're not going to the bishop to be held accountable. That already started with you. And if you're going in to have it with the bishop, you're handing off that. It's going to be really hard for you to change. Hmm. You're going to meet with that bishop a long time until it gets passed back. And you start to go, oh, no, I'm in charge of this. I forgot I am. Okay. So that's what accountability is. Now, repentance, repentance is a whole process of fruits worthy of the repentance, right? There's a restitution process. There's all these things. But what is the point of repentance? The point of repentance is to instill change. Again, <laughs> repentance doesn't have anything to do with priesthood leader. Repentance doesn't have anything to do with any function of the church. It has to do with your relationship with God. The part that involves a bishop is when you have a chief judge in Israel. And that's where you might not know, hey, what is what? how does this impact right my activity level? How does this impact? Or if you're just lost on in the repentance process, that's typically where it comes. Like, hey, I'm trying to repent, but I can't let this go. Mm. I'm trying to repent. Okay, let's give you some things to do that gives you fruit worthy of repentance so you can start to know thyself, love thyself, take care of thyself, right? So you can do those things. And we oftentimes go into the environment of we haven't done the first two things. We haven't done accountability. We haven't done repentance. We've hit it. Mm -hmm. And we go meet with the bishop. Oh, I hope it doesn't come out. Right. Okay. Well, th this isn't the process at all. You're handing everything over to him to do it. And I, I, you know, I love the bishops of the church, but they're not trained therapists. They're not trained psychologists. They're not, they're not going to know how to pull this stuff out of you. Right. That's you. That's us Just going in and saying, Hey, here's where I'm holding myself accountable. Here's where I'm repenting. And here's where I'm lost. What do you think I should do? Hmm. What do you think? And that's where the bishop can actually use his priesthood keys and say, you know what I think you should do? We should do this, this, and this. I think that'll help. Beautiful. Great meeting. Thanks so much. I and think that's just, it. Go ahead. Even just the framing uh, before we even go to the bishop is so counter to how so many of us engage yeah, well, in the gospel. And 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 it's the point of the gospel, but we have somehow taken it and said, you right. know, exactly well, what you're saying. It's the bishop's seal. I got to go meet with yeah. the bishop. This is the accountability when this occurs this That's way. right. And it's because of, and this is where I always come back to our lack of understanding of accountability, because we always associate accountability with bad. Mm -hmm. Right. So even though we will all say, everybody loves to point out where everybody else needs accountability, but they forget that nobody really ever wants it. Like I said earlier, nobody wants it. So we avoid it. We hide it. If you go into the book of Genesis and uh, Adam and Eve uh, were now wearing clothes, right? Because they, they were they're ashamed of their nakedness and that, that whole symbology. And then what happens when the, the uh, when Heavenly Father shows up? He says, Adam, 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 where art thou? Okay, Because mm -hmm. he's hiding, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, uh, I, right? But if Adam had already done the work on accountability, if he'd already done the work of repentance, he would have been like, hey, I'm right here. Here's what I did. Here's what happened. And here's what I've already done to correct it. What do you think? What have I missed? But he didn't. And so even in our earliest scriptures, it, it, it talks about human natural tendency. And we're still the same. And we're still the same. What I think is so funny about that is I also think about, you know, God comes to the garden and goes, listen, the woman you gave me, she did it. <laughs> Yeah, same thing. It wasn't, it yeah. wasn't, I didn't want to. She, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. I mean, it's amazing how, you know, how those lines have passed through all the patriarchy group writing all that and all that kind of, and it's still, mm -hmm. we're no different today. Yeah. Natural human tendency is, I hope they don't find out. And if they do, where can I point? Right. That's our, that's, we're the same after all these years because that's what God is actually trying to teach us is. Hey, the chief judge in Israel is only to help you through the repentance process at certain spots. But the work is you. The work is, is I mean, if it was differently, if it, if it, in my belief, this is not doctoral, this is Don Markland belief, mm -hmm. but if it was different, if the bishop's job was really to do all that, then they'd be paid clergy. 
Sure. They'd be paid and trained in these intense. I mean, I've had friends that were called as a bishop and the day before and the day after they're still the same dude, right? They didn't get <laughs> some secret book. Here's how you, this is all of psychological history in the last 2000 years. It's not that at all because <laughs> God doesn't want bishops to fix you. He wants you to fix you with the savior. And sometimes we get in the mud and we can't get through it. And so the bishop's there to say, here, let me give you some ideas that can help. Are there other ways in which we exercise our faith or maybe within the walls of our own home that this accountability or lack of accountability shows up that maybe we could touch on? Yes. The, and the biggest one is what I've talked about is, is holding you and your family accountable for the things they do well. We have a masculine oftentimes approach to the home, which is, well, I was never complimented by oh, my old man, and I'm going to do the same. Well, I'm going to raise tough kids who know how to do this, right? Why in the world would we take the mistakes of our parents and adamantly hold on to them, right? I've never understood that, right? Just because that's how you were raised doesn't mean it was the best way, right? Take the things that were good and use them and apply new things. Sure. And the biggest one is, hey, I'm going to tell my kids, you're awesome. That was great. I'm going to tell my spouse, man, I love that. I love what you did. I love this. Hey, thank you. This is a big one in Latter-day Saint culture where the husbands don't want anybody to help them. They don't want birthdays. Don't celebrate me. <laughs> right? Don't you do, don't you give me anything? Don't you do that? Why in the heavens not? Right? Yeah. Is everybody else the only one that gets to be celebrated, but you are some stoic, scary masculine that has no emotion? Give me a freaking break. Right. So start by thanking them for doing nice things for you accepting them you'll build peace in your home like you wouldn't believe if you for your birthday just let people celebrate you and you say wow thank you like that was really nice to receive things that you thought about holy wow thank you mm -hmm. instead of this uh -uh, i'm gonna just make it tough and nobody <laughs> can break through you know this bruce or not bruce wayne john wayne thing right that's it's ridiculous yeah right and so that's how Everybody can start today by saying, I'm going to hold somebody in my family accountable for doing something really well. And th they won't know. They won't know who you are. <laughs> They'll be shocked. Hey, God, you really cleaned the kitchen well tonight. Thank you. What the what? what? <laughs> right. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean you don't be dishonest. Right. Okay. And if they make mistakes, correct failure. But, you know, hold them accountable for doing things well. Hmm. It'll, it'll change your home. It'll create peace in your home. Like you wouldn't believe. And then like you, we did with you earlier, accept it when somebody does it to you. Right. Hi, thank you. It's awesome. I'm glad you noticed. <laughs> Such a valuable thing. Uh, I, you know, engaging in this conversation when we started at the beginning and I said, I know very little about you except for what I've stocked online. I don't know that I knew that this would where this conversation would go. And and hearing all of these things and hoping to be able to, and for everyone else who's kind of walked the path with us as well, to be able to see those places where they could step in and 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 do a little bit more, do or yeah. try it. You know, and some yeah. of these things I'm just like, yeah, I that's so foreign to me that I would have to even just try it to know if I was uncomfortable about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, this is, you know, this kind of little silly story that I'll uh mention here. So a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to the Museum of Modern Art in uh, New York. Mm -hmm. And we got to see uh, an original Van Gogh painting, his Starry Night painting. We got to see that. We had this little wow. guide with us there. And the guide was, I mean, there were all these people staring around and looking at it. And the guide was telling us about the history of Van Gogh and, and all of his sad life. And, and then he said, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean in and look really close. And he said, you can see the cracks in the paint. And because you can see the cracks is how you know the painting's authentic. And that statement hit me more than anything because I realized that is our life. We spend all of our life on social media and everything trying to smooth out the paint and make it look perfect. Mm -hmm. But that's all fake. What makes us who we are, what makes us great is our imperfections or the cracks in the paint. The fact that we have those things that we work on makes us who we are, that we should love and appreciate, makes us real. And when I took it even further and I thought about, you know, cracks in a fence or cracks in a brick, that's when light shines through, mm -hmm. only through the cracks. And so our imperfections, that's where Christ will touch you. That's where he will come in and say, hey, I got you. And, and so don't hate 
those cracks and don't hate those imperfections. Be thrilled. Oh, I'm so glad I have them because that makes me me. And that it makes it so Christ has an easier pathway so I can grow. Is this something you've had an opportunity to a lot within a religious context be able to teach about? Or is it the majority as you're consulting and in, in, in the business realm? Uh, all the time, right? I've written, I've published some articles with LDS Living. And so um, uh, I've done that and I speak a lot uh, for my work because we do a lot of public speaking with my work. You know, then I've been destined to be on all these high councils, right? So I go around and speak and I've done some state conferences and youth conferences for other places and stuff like that. I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, Hank Smith or a John, by the way, or something sure. like that. But I would say that uh, I do get to teach on it a lot. And and that's, I think it's an important message that, you know, accountability and how we view it and how we shape it makes a big difference. I can't imagine that there is, but I would be curious. Is there any sort of pushback you get from anyone? Uh, no, the, it's, I never get pushback. I always get this. Oh, I'm so glad you're teaching it. This person needs to hear it. <laughs> Right. That's what I always get. Like, oh, I'm so glad, Brother Marklin, you taught that. I just wish so-and-so had been here because that would have been good for them. And I'll say, you know, I don't know if you heard what I said. Do you right. really say that? Yep. All the time. Yep. I don't know if you caught the message. Right. Don't know if you caught it. And, um, I, you know, a perfect example, I teach a lot on the belief of Joseph Smith. Okay. And I love this because Joseph Smith... If you're on TikTok or anything, you're going to see lots of people showing lots of stuff about their opinions on Joseph Smith. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll be the first to say Joseph Smith had plenty of, you know, uh, narcissistic tendencies and things. And, and that would have been very hard for anybody to build a church and be surrounded by people that tell you you're a prophet. And I love you, everything that you do. Sure. That would have been hard for any person to deal with anyone. Okay. And then to also have God visiting you saying, no, it's okay. Like you're actually really cool. Yeah. But it's making me think I can control the world. Like it's, it's a hard time. Right? Those are real human tendencies that anybody would have. But my favorite point of the whole church is fast and testimony. Meaning how many times have you seen a primary or a young kid get up there and say, I know this church is true. I know that Joseph Smith is a prophet and that's it. And that statement of, I know Joseph Smith is a prophet, says to me, teenagers, because he founded this church when he was a teenager on the idea, I don't have a testimony. I don't know what I believe. That was our, that's the first principle of the gospel. And I see parents all over, I've, I've talked with parents all over the world who say, my son doesn't have a testimony, I'm freaking out. My son is this, my, my daughter doesn't believe what we believe and I'm losing my mind. Well, that's what Joseph Smith did. That's exactly what he did. And he figured it out on his own. He didn't need a helicopter parent telling him what to do. He trusted, God trusted a teenager to figure it out on their own. So why don't we? So when you have your teenager that's struggling with their testimony or having a faith crisis, or they're following somebody on TikTok and they're like, I can't do this. Well, that's exactly what you say you believe every Sunday. When you say Joseph Smith was a prophet, well, you're saying it's okay. My teenager can figure it out. And I love, that is my favorite part of the church is that we believe that the Richards of the world and the kids of the world, we can figure it out on our own with our relationship with God. And that, that's pretty special. Yeah. Uh, our time has drawn to an end. There are three questions that we uh, ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling? And I think you did say that you do. And if so, what is it? Yeah, I'm a state young men's president. I was part of the great... Um, exodus of young men's. I was a state young men's president, and then I got released during a general conference, uh -huh. and then I got called back to the high council as a state young men's president. Right. So that's what I do now. And I, I love it. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I'd be a primary uh, pianist, right? So I, I grew up playing the piano. I did it in college. I do a lot of jazz and blues piano. And every once in a while, I'll be in a primary and I'll say, do you need a piano player? And they'll say, yes. And I, we don't, we don't do your mama's, uh, <laughs> versions, uh, not to tell you a long story, but I was in the Philippines there for work. I have some, my, my team's over there and I was going to church on a Sunday and I showed up, this is the stake center in Cebu next to the temple. And I came in and they're like, oh, we don't have a piano player. And I said, I'll play the piano. Yeah. <laughs> and I got up there on sacrament meeting and you better believe we sang a little bit different that day. And I had a little bit of blues riff even during sacrament. And it's great. Do you have any of that stuff recorded? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if I have it recorded. No, no. Uh, Never made yeah. a recording of that? I would love to see a video of that or even just a, a 
some sort of yeah. auditory recording. Yeah. Oh, exactly yeah. We, that is. Yeah. Like if you haven't, you haven't lived until you've done, I hope they call me on a mission in a blues riff <laughs> and you get all the primary kids like, well, boom, they'll clapping. And then da 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 And oh man, it's and the kids love it. They just love it. They yes. Love it. I love it. I yeah. love it. And I haven't even heard it. Yeah, it's a little Southern Baptist soul into, <laughs> into the church, and it's great. Uh the final question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, we ask you to interpret it however you will. But the yes, question sir. remains: what is your favorite part of your faith? Uh my favorite part of my faith is what I kind of mentioned before. Uh, is that this church was founded on the idea that every one of us can build a relationship with God. We can struggle with God. We can learn on it on our own. We don't need anyone else. We don't, if I'm a, a, a woman, I don't need a man to tell me what to believe or shape that for me. If I'm a man, I don't need a woman. We all have our individual relationship with God. And that's foundational in our church. God's chose somebody that had no business being a prophet, had no business being a leader of people. Joseph Smith is a teenager. And I think he did that ideally so that we could all say, I can have a faith crisis. I can be surrounded by TikToks all the time, reminding me of my the weirdness of what I believe. I can have all these things. I can have church policy that I have to figure out my testimony with. I can have all these things on my own with my relationship with God. And that's magic to me. That's Harry Potter, straight up, legit magic awesome and i love it and i'll never never not love it i'm a convert to the church right so i grew on this on my own a convert from utah hold on i feel like i have done us a terrible disservice <laughs> i should have yeah. maybe started there quickly how did you how did you find the church being a northern utah boy yeah so well, i grew up in a town called nephi utah so you can okay. imagine how many latter-day saints are in that town yeah right? everyone yeah i mean it's it's heavy and i um, Elder Drake Castle was the guy that baptized me. And I actually originally joined the church when I was 17 because I was dating a girl. And she said, Hey, my dad found out you're not Mormon. Um, so I have I can only date Mormons. And I was like, Well, what do I have to do? She goes, Call these missionaries. <laughs> and I literally called him. He and I, Elder Castle, and I've joked about he goes, We came home from tracting and we had this voicemail. Hey, this is Don Marklin. I'm student body president. I need to get baptized. How, how quickly can that happen? Right. Like, <laughs> and they came over and and but I didn't find the gospel at that point. It meant nothing to me. I actually didn't even believe it. I was trying to date a girl. Sure. It didn't matter. And later on, when I was 20 years old, I was dating my beautiful wife who I'm with now. And I was living in Yakima, Washington. And I had just left the party with some friends thinking, man, this is this was a great time. But I'm 20 years old. I make twice as much money as all these guys do. This can't be in my life where I'm just partying every weekend came back to my apartment. I had the most incredible two-bedroom apartment. And I walked into my bedroom and there on the nightstand was this quad. It was Elder Drake Castle's quad that he'd given me. Mm -hmm. I was the last missionary, last last place before he transferred home. And I said, okay, let me read. Let me, let me try this. And I sat there and I read and I read and I read. And I remembered Elder Castle saying, did you pray about it? Did you pray about it? And I was like, okay, let me try this. So I get on my knees and I do this irreverent, like, yo, God, it's Don, what's up? Amen. <laughs> and I remember I said, look, if this church is true, tell me and I'll devote my life to it. But don't worry, because if it's not, I will do the work to find the truth. Hmm. I will do the work to figure it out. I didn't learn later until that's exactly how Joseph Smith prayed, right? Like, which of these is true, right? He's saying, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to figure it out. And as that happened, I felt God do one of these kind of backhand slaps in the back of my head, like, you idiot. <laughs> you've always known it's true. Mm. And, and I did, I knew it right then. And I went and saw my Bishop that Sunday, got on a different type of plan. A year later, we got married to the DC temple and, and we were rolling and that's, that's how I found it. Nice. Nice. I'm glad we caught that part of that story. I would have, yeah, I would have hated to, to miss out on that. Yeah. Uh, and Dom I do, I do want to say, I appreciate the work that you do, the voice that you give people, right? Like you give a vehicle for people to hear authenticity in testimony, faith building, like actual application. And in a world where we're all eager to be teachers and everybody wants to be, you know, the teacher in the room, it's sometimes extremely refreshing to hear just authentic stories and say, no, remember, that's what the Bible's filled with. That's Book of Mormon's filled with stories. The teaching part is actually very little, the lecturing and all that stuff. That's just the King Benjamin discourse and a couple other, 
The rest of it is just great, authentic story. And that's what you provide. I think it's really cool. I appreciate that compliment. Thank you. Man, that feels uncomfortable, but I did it. I did it. I did it. Yeah. Did hear that? Don, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, and Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.